0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 22. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: The pulpit committee had a meeting, and they sent a letter with these recommendations and conclusions. We looked at a man named Noah. He is a moral man, a strong family man. He has more than 100 years preaching experience, but hasn't had one single convert. Rejected. We looked at a man named Moses. He showed evidence of intolerance. There was a rumor that we couldn't verify that he had killed a man. I don't think we want that kind of pastor. And besides, he has a terrible stutter rejected. We looked at a guy by the name of David. He had an excellent leadership qualities, but unacceptable moral character. We were thinking he could be worship leader, but David fell into terrible sin with a married woman, rejected. We interviewed a man by the name of Solomon. He had a good reputation for wisdom, but doesn't practice what he preaches, evidence of marriage problems, rejected. We found a man by the name of Isaiah, who was a man of unclean lips. He even admits it himself. Rejected. We got hold of a guy by the name of John the Baptist. He was also a good preacher. He's a strong Baptist. (laughs) He lacks tact and manners, and he dressed like a hippie. Rejected. We found a guy by the name of Peter, and on more than one occasion, he actually denied that he even knew Jesus. Not the kind of guy you want to be in charge of the outreach program. Rejected. And then we came across Paul, who had a reputation for long sermons that people that put people to sleep. No amen necessary there. He has published a lot of books, but they don't seem to have been read very much. Rejected. And then we talked to and interviewed a guy by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Can't seem to preach without offending someone. On one occasion, he's been run out of the church. Rumor has it that his parents weren't married when he was born, and members of his family say. He may have a Messiah complex. He thinks he can save the world. He has no formal training and his style of preaching is way too simple, too controversial, rejected. Although we are happy to report that there is one man that stands out above the rest. He's a people person, compassionate, concerned about the poor. He's shown great initiative. He's concerned about waste. He's an excellent fundraiser and has experience dealing with the rich and powerful. The committee unanimously recommends for your consideration as pastor, Judas Iscariot. Were you with me last week? Just by show of hands, were you with me last week? You know then, last week, it's Passover. And Jerusalem is crowded. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to run one to you. Luke chapter 22 get your pen, get your pad. You're going to need it. Luke chapter 22. It's Passover week and Jerusalem is crowded. The chief priests and the scribes are looking for a way to kill Jesus. Luke 22 verse 3. You're looking at it? Look at verse 3. Satan entered Judas and he cut a deal with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. And remember we talked about this last week. This Judas is one of the 12. This is the same Judas who was, who was uh, uh, spent time with Jesus, the same Judas who saw miracles, the same Judas who was given authority and power and exousia to cleanse the leper and raise the dead and heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God. And yet, <laughs> Judas, he was a betrayer. Judas was an instrument that Satan used to deliver Jesus to his enemies. I've titled this sermon, if you're taking notes, Final hour, final lessons, part two. Luke chapter 22, saints, we pick up in verse 20. If you're looking at verse 20, say amen. Some of y'all ain't looking. Luke 22, verse 20. If you're looking at verse 20, say amen. amen. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold... The hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves, which of them it was who would do such a thing. Now there were also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest in the kingdom. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials and my temptations, talking to the disciples. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on Thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. If you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and that they would see a man. Let me have your attention. And that they would see a man carrying a pitcher of water and that they were to follow that man in the house. Remember? And to ask him, Where is the guest room so they might prepare the Passover? And we saw last week that the disciples secured the house for the Passover. Now in verse 14 in your Bibles, go ahead and look at it. Jesus sat down at a table called the triclinium, the triclinium. What's that, Rodney? A triclinium is a three sided, very low table. And they would lean back on pillows on the floor and the host would sit in the center of the table. John chapter 13, we know that John was sitting on the right, leaning on Jesus' chest, and Judas was sitting on his left. You knew that. And both these guys are sitting in the place of honor. You should know that. And Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he took the bread, and he gave thanks. And then after they ate, he took, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now look at verse 21. While eating, did you get this? Jesus ruins the dinner atmosphere. While eating, Jesus ruins the dinner atmosphere. Jesus said, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Now look at me. They're all sitting around the table like this. All of a sudden, Jesus says, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And I bet you they all went. Who is it? Who is It's Not me. And in verse 23, it says they began to ask among themselves, who would do such a thing? And then in Matthew 26, you might want to write that down. It tells us they said, is it I, Jesus, am I the one? Interesting. As we pointed out last week, they didn't all look at Judas. I do. I just do. I do. I do. I, last week I told you. I find it interesting. They all didn't look at Judas. They said, Lord, is it me? They didn't look at Judas. Judas wasn't wearing black glasses and a black cape and looking evil and sinister and looking like a betrayer. Whatever betrayer looks like. But they didn't all look at, at, at Judas. Now, I wonder if I said to this audience, I wonder if I said one of you is going to backslide and turn away from Jesus this week. You probably look down the road. You probably look down the road and go, you know what? I bet you it's her. I bet you look what she wear. You know, that that weave, that weave. She, She got that weave. Something wrong, something up with that weave. She got something wrong with her. See, you might look down the aisle and look at somebody else, but the disciples noticed, they responded, Lord, is it I? I believe this tells us a lot about these guys. The disciples realized something that we all need to realize. What's that, Rodney? Listen to me. There is a little betrayer. There is a little traitor in all of us. And I don't care how spiritual you think you are. Yeah, I said it's spiritual. I don't care how spiritual you think you are or how spiritual deep you think you are or how holy you think you are or how long you've been walking with the Lord and you got a big leather Bible. You just holy. You're so holy. Somebody asked you, how you doing? you Oh, hallelujah. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. You just holy. You know, some people like that, they just holy. They're a little betrayer in you. And there's a little traitor in you. How you know that, Rodney? Because although you became a Christian, listen to me close, you still have the flesh and that fallen nature to deal with. That fallen nature is still there. You got to deal with it. These guys had a healthy distrust of themselves, knowing it's possible that they could betray the Lord. And the truth is, we have all of us. Have all played the betrayer or we've all betrayed at some point. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but we've all played the betrayer or we've all been betrayed at some point. We've all been betrayed or burned by a Christian business owner. I remember a guy came to me one time and he told me that I'll never do business with a Christian again. They just ripped me off. I, you know, I never do business with a Christian again. I've been betrayed by a Christian. Or, or, or they had, you know, a Christian brain surgeon. Man, I am not, I've been betrayed by a Christian brain surgeon. I can't even think straight. I mean, I just, you know. <laughs> We've all been betrayed. Listen. This life as a Christian, you cannot, in this life, Period. You can't go through this life without being betrayed. And honestly, you've betrayed someone before, at least once. And you can't go through this Christian life without being betrayed. And the thing that you have to understand is, even though you might have been betrayed, you cannot let the betrayal of someone cause you to lose your focus and your perspective on what God has called you to do. Where are my people at? Where are my people at? You cannot allow betrayal to divert you from the plan and the purpose of God. We have the betrayer and the betrayed sitting at the same table. And even though Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, he didn't let it get him off course. Now, did you notice the dramatic shift in the scene? They're talking about, in verse 24, Who's going to be the greatest? You get that scene? Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And then all of a sudden in verse 24, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Then this seems to be a common topic of conversation among the disciples. I think of Mark chapter nine. They're all standing around talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Peter's like, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm the one that he said, flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto thee, Peter. But the spirit, I'm going to be the greatest. And John says, well, I'm going to be the greatest because I'm the one that laid on his chest and I'm the one who loved Jesus more than all of y'all. And Matthew's, I'm going to be the betrayed. I'm going to be the greatest. And they're all talking about being the greatest. So they're standing around in Mark chapter 9 talking about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus walks up and he says, hey, fellas, what y'all talking about? And they said nothing. Anyone told Jesus that. I remember, and you might remember, the mother of James and John saying, hey, Jesus, you know, she's a little Jewish woman. She says, hey, Jesus, I've got two boys, two sons, and one's going to be a doctor and the other a lawyer. You ought to have one to sit on your right and the other one to sit on your left. They're always mindful of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, keeping in mind, saints, that just within a few hours, Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus is going to be crucified in just a few hours. They're all like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Everybody's concerned with who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is probably thinking, oy they I prayed all night and this is what I get. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? True story. Listen, it's told of Muhammad Ali. You know, Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. True story. Ali was on a plane flying to the Thriller in Manila. And as the plane was about to take off, the stewardess came down the aisle and said, "Uh, Mr. Ali, please fasten your seatbelt. And Ali looked up at her and snarled at the woman and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess looked back at him and says, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Superman don't need no airplane. So they asked Jesus, Jesus, (laughs) who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And I bet you, listen, here's my sanctified imagination. I bet you. They're all who's going to be the greatest and they're all just sitting there standing there breathlessly holding their breath waiting for Jesus to say to name the one. And Jesus didn't yell at them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't lash out at them. Jesus didn't even say, "Hey dummies, I'm the greatest." Notice in verse 24 through 30, Jesus said, the kings, go ahead and look at it in verse 24. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so in verse 26 among you. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. Jesus is simply making the point that true greatness is in serving more than in being served. Did you hear me? True greatness is in being, is serving more than being served. The people who are really great in the kingdom are the ones who have become servants of all. Write this down. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and the servant of all. The people who are really great are the ones who have become servant of all. We got that backwards in our minds. But according to the Bible, great people are people who lay their life down are people who serve. I mean, think about this. People who are really great in our lives are servants, even in our nation. I mean, think about this. What if the president of the United States took a month off? Nobody would even miss him. But what if the trash man took a month off? Are y'all with me, my people? Everybody would miss him. Because servants, people who serve, really are great. Jesus is simply trying to rearrange their thinking. Notice in verse 28, go ahead and look at it in your Bibles. Jesus is saying the disciples will receive a unique reward because they hung in there with Jesus. They got a special place in the kingdom of God. They will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 21.14, write that down. Revelation 21.14 Their names will be on the 12 foundations of the wall of the new Jerusalem. So they have a special place. Now notice in verse 31 in your Bibles, let's read verse 31 through 34. If you're looking at verse 31, say, I'm looking at it. And the Lord said, Simon, matter of fact, is so great. Please read verse 31 with me. And the Lord said, Simon, I want everybody to read it like you're reading it, okay? Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as sweet. But Jesus goes on to say, but I've prayed for you that your face should not fail. And when? Circle that, not if, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Lord, I'm the man. Lord, I got your back. Lord, I'm Peter, the rock. Peter, Rocky, Rocky, me, Peter, me, Adrian, Rocky. (laughs) Rocky. I had a little coffee between services. <laughs> I got your back. I got your back, Lord. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. And look at verse 34. Then he, Jesus, said, I tell you, Rocky. <laughs> I tell you, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you no, me, saints, stop right there. So the disciples are thinking on the heels of what Jesus just said, that their names are going to be written on the 12 foundation stones of the walls, and they're going to be, have a special place in, in the kingdom. And they're thinking, okay, that's not so bad. We'll reign with Jesus. And then Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Now look at me. Remember I told you, look at me. Remember, I told you in scripture whenever you see a name spoken twice, that it is very, very, very important. Remember, I told you that? Martha, Martha. You are worried about many things. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, how I desired to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you were not willing. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as we. Very important. Now listen, the idea or the tense in the Greek is that Satan, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Satan has begged for you or Satan has asked permission. Then there's no sense or Greek tense that the devil was out there just eating up and spitting out Christians whenever he wants to. The devil is not like the boogeyman. Behind every tree and under every rock and out there in the dark and ooh, Oh, that's not the devil. Satan is real. I don't know what you think about Satan, but I would encourage you to think what the Bible has to say about the devil. And the Bible says that there is a real anybody listening to me that there is a real devil. There is a real Satan out there, and he is active in the world. All you got to do is turn on the TV. He is active in the world. Where are my people at? He is active in the world, and he's active in people's lives. And Satan never has a good day. Satan never says, boy, this is a great day. Satan never says, oh, have a good day. He never has a good day. Satan is not your friend. I had a guy ask me the other day at the gym, listen. I had a guy ask me the other day at the gym, a Christian. He said to me, What do you think about the Illuminati? He asked me, What do I think about the Illuminati? I said, What do you mean? What do I think about the the Illuminati? I just want to know what you think about, you know, what the Bible says, you know, we got demons and demons and high rankings and principalities and all that stuff. I said, brother, let me help you understand something. You don't need to know everything about evil in order for you to minister to a person concerning, you know, walking with God and, and staying in the things of God. Some things Christians don't need to know. So you don't need to be involved with my people. And anybody understand what I'm saying? You don't need to know about all these things. All you need to know is Satan is not your friend. Break it down. And the Bible says that he's come to rob and to kill and to destroy. You don't need to know about all these other dark things of uh, of the devil. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Now, listen close. I'm sure the sifting that Satan had in mind is different than the sifting God would actually allow him to do. Sifting, are you listening? Sifting is a process of separating. An ox dragging a wooden sled over the grain to crush it and to peel off the chaff was the process of sifting. The wooden sled was called the tribulum. Write it down. Tribulum. T-R-I-B-U-L-U-M. Tribulum. I B U. L-U-M. We have the word tribulation. And the purpose of the tribulum was to separate the chaff from the wheat. Now listen, perhaps you can get happy about this. Jesus is in charge of the tribulum. Satan doesn't have the right because we are blood-bought, blood-washed Christians of the Most High God. Is anybody excited about that?